Who knows, our young people are in good hands. Yeah? <laughs> Let me pray. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Hunger and thirst, Lord, that's what's in our hearts right now. We hunger. We hunger because some of us are hurting. We thirst because some of us aren't full. And right now as we open your word, it's your Holy Spirit that we allow to fulfill and fill our lives again, refreshed and new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a morning. What a morning so far. We're into part three of our series, Doubter's Guide to the Bible, based on this book written by Dr. John Dixon, a theologian, historian. And in fact, John's going to be here with us at the end of May to finish off this particular series. But uh, what we're doing, uh, we're taking a look at just some, just some of the most important stories moments and characters of the Bible, of how God planned, how God revealed and executed His purposes for the world. We realize this is an ambitious attempt. We acknowledge that within the few weeks that we've got to do this. But let's not forget, this is an overarching narrative um, of the Bible. That, Of course, it's the story that stretches from creation right through to eternity, from the book of Genesis right through to Revelation. And some of you might be familiar with the word apologetics. We're not trying to prove the truth of the Bible. That's what apologetics means. It's not an exercise in apologetics. I want to be very clear about that. What this series is all about is just a simple outline for curious doubters of what it might mean for life if the Bible was in fact true. And so we welcome you. We welcome your questions. We welcome doubters here. We all doubt. Every now and then we all doubt. But let's go back to week one. Just a quick recap. Week one, uh, we said that everything is good, yeah? And uh, we talked about the creation story where the opening point of the Bible, please feel free to read this with me. It's on the screen there. Let's pop that up. That a good, here we go, here we go. Read this with me. A good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so they could live the good life. Week one, we said everything is what? Everything is good. In fact, it was Perfect. By the way, good life, when we say that, actually means to living, living together, living in community with God and with others within the physical world in which he created for us. And so everything is good, where everything ebbed and flowed in complete harmony. It was beautiful. It was peaceful. It was paradise. There was no sadness, there was no confusion, injustice, disease, death. It was perfect. But we don't live there anymore. Well, Steve, where do we live? We live in between the two gardens. Let me explain what I mean by that as we go on this journey this morning. Because there's another truth to this biblical narrative that we talked about last week, that this dark thread runs not only through the world, but through every heart of humanity. Which brings us to part two, last week. 
where Ben spoke, where all of a sudden, everything is bad. And horrific reality for all of humanity. The moment that sin invaded the world. Perfection ended. Curses began. Consequences unleashed. Banished from the garden. Physical death imminent. And as Ben said last week, Adam and Eve's story is now my story. In fact, Adam and Eve's story is our story. Do you remember that? Uh, John Dixon also, there's a quote here last week that Ben brought. He said this, that we are fundamentally glorious. Don't lose sight of that. We are fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretched at the same time. You know that hymn that we often sing, the good old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch. Fundamentally glorious, but fundamentally wretched at the same time. I like that, how he describes that. But this is only part, by the way, this is only part of the biblical story because hope, this is where hope rises. Why? Because we find out in the end he's making all things new. And so God intervenes. Why? Because it's his desire not to destroy, but it's his heart's desire is to save. And he hasn't denied us of his best. In fact, the best is yet to come. In fact, God has got a perfect plan, a rescue plan of redemption. Don't forget, don't forget, this is a love story. This is a love story between him and us, between the two gardens. And so what does he do? What is God's plan after these first couple of chapters that we've been looking at. Well, God intervenes here, doesn't he? And he chooses an individual from whom would come an entire nation. And this nation would be the vehicle of his good intentions towards all the nations. Enter Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, bob up and down, sit down. Who remembers that particular song? Look, kids, fossils. <laughs> Father Abraham, Father Abraham. This was a major character in the Bible. The father of faith. Muslims agree with that. The Jews agree with that. And Christianity agrees with that. Now, this is the new era of human history about to begin. But before this, I want you to know how the relationship between God and people um, was developing. Because before this, there was a general, God had made a, 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 um, a maintained a sort of general relationship to the whole human race. Of course, coming out of the flood, um, it was a general relationship that God had to everybody until a very, very significant event occurred. And this is pre-Abraham. Abraham, and it's the building of the Tower of Babel. Very good. In Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 12 is where Abram enters. 
But this is the overwhelming, this story, long story cut short, Genesis 11 is that uh, this overwhelming display of human pride, um, arrogance, power, and idolatry. And so that general relationship that God had with his people was shattered. And because of that, mankind was scattered over the place, over the face of the planet. And so different languages were introduced so they couldn't talk to each other, which means they couldn't communicate to each other because this was the price. This was the price for rebelling against God. And so now you have this picture, you have this world of people with no connection to God, with no connection hardly at all to each other, and they became alienated, given over, given over to their idolatry. So what's God's plan in this? Well, mercifully, however, God does have a plan to reveal himself, not in a broad sense, not in a general sense, but in a specific sense to one man, Abraham. And so Abraham becomes the father of the people of Israel, and Israel becomes the nation that is the beginning of divine revelation, God revealing himself to the, to the world. And so God's plan is to what? To send his word, but once again, not in some general way, but rather a specific way to the people called Israel. And these people of Israel will hear his word, they will possess his word, they will inscribe his word in a written fashion, and then they will proclaim his word to the nations, to the world, to proclaim that salvation is available, that sinners can be reconciled to God through faith. Not works. Through faith. And this flows through Abraham, the central contact point between God and the revelation of his redemptive plan. God has a plan. Let's talk about Abraham just for a moment. Of course, originally Abram, which means, does anyone know? That's okay. It means exalted father, high father, exalted father. Abram means that. And of course, God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, father of many nations. Very good. So back then, your name resented a number of things. First of all, to represent who you were, it represented your character and also your destiny. And so names were a pretty big thing back in those days. And so promises, these promises that were made to Abraham um, were of great significance, great significance, shaping, of course, Israel's relationship with God for centuries. Now, if we miss these, we actually miss the key that unlocks the Bible. These promises mark uh, in fact, the reversal, the reversal of the three diminishing elements of human existence. Those three things are, are spiritual, um, social, and physical. First one is how we relate to God spiritually. God's going to reverse this, right? The second thing is how we relate to others. This is the social element. And the third thing is that how we connect to our physical world. This is the physical element. And these three things are, in fact, found in the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Let's have a read of this now. It says this, that the Lord had said to Abram, 
Go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household. Three significant shifts for Abram to obey right there. To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. This is so simple, but very significant to the biblical narrative. Let's go to the first one. Let's talk a little bit about what God is restoring. Let's talk about the spiritual restoration just for a moment, if we could. Let's talk about that, uh, first of all, remember that Abraham is chosen. Abraham is blessed. Why? Because he's better than everyone else. That Abraham has a right moral standing better than everybody else, that he is best of all the pagans? Well, I think you know the way I'm sharing this. Of course, that's not true at all. In fact, the Bible does not teach that at all. Why Abraham? Why Abraham? Quite clearly, Abraham is a recipient of God's grace to therefore go. And by faith, you'll hear me say this a fair bit, that by faith, he goes. You see, when approached by God, nothing indicates at all that he was righteous. Nothing indicates at all that he was obedient. And by the way, even, even, yeah, the father of Israel was not chosen because of his goodness. Neither anyone is. So here we are, scattered, Genesis 11, scattered, Tower of Babel, um, pagan, by the way, pagan means those who have different beliefs to you. And by the way, we are also seen as pagan to others. Scattered and pagan, God confirms his promises and his blessings that Abraham doesn't deserve. And yet to his credit, Abraham Response, verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Let's keep in mind, he's got no idea where he's going to here. This is a step and a journey and an adventure of faith. And so he leaves that which is familiar. He leaves, um, he doesn't even know uh, other people where he's going to. He's never seen a brochure of Canaan, by the way. <laughs> he's never seen what the Mediterranean shoreline would look like, and he did not see the picture of the great estate that he would, he would inherit, and he would inherit something significant, but he never saw a picture of that. And so once again, it was by faith, by faith, by faith. And this is a pretty important part of Abraham's journey and story because it was that. There is no other explanation apart from God's amazing grace upon his life where God comes to this pagan in the midst of hundreds and thousands of people, in the area that was Eden, well, near before the flood, that area, in sin, 
immersed in idolatry, singled out, but by faith. Abraham left everything. What did he leave? He left the land of his birth. He left his home. He left his estate, quite wealthy. He left his family ties. He left his loved ones behind. He left the comfort and familiarity, that which was at, he, he was safe. He left at the age of 75 to embrace total uncertainty. Why? Because the, the life of faith is willing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we walk by we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Ty, his story, he's walking by faith now, by faith of the ups and downs and the journeys between the two gardens. Come back to that in a moment. So God enters into this covenant with Abraham, and this is a very important concept in Scripture, because usually... Let's talk about covenants just for a very brief moment because covenants involve both parties binding themselves to each other for some mutual benefit. However, as you read this through, this seems to be one-sided here because it's God alone who participates and that God is doing something good to Abraham here. Why? Because a good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so they would live the good life. The question we need to ask, we need to step back here, we need to ask here is this, what is God going to get out of this deal? I think it's worth asking, but as we think about it, as we go a little bit deeper, and we start to think that a good God is restoring something so precious in this world that in fact this is what God gets out of this. And it's this, that he gets to bless. He gets to, to love. He gets to pour out his mercy. That's what he gives in this exchange and it says this in Genesis 15 9 to 21 check this out so the Lord said to him bring me a heifer a goat and a ram each three years old along with a dove oh, and a young pigeon <laughs> Abram brought all these to him cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other the birds however he did not cut in half. Yay for the birds. <laughs> then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him this, Know for certain, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. I love this word. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried 
at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made, he made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites. I might get you to say that one in your hearts. And Jebusites. We all just want Vegemite in there somewhere, don't we? Where's the Vegemites? <laughs> Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. <laughs> but this idea of covenant, this idea of covenant, it holds the story together. What's the covenant? To bless, to give him the land, to build him into a community that would bless not just the nation, but to bless the world. And this is where the entire biblical narrative is heading. And in coming weeks, we're going to discover that these promises to Moses, to Israel, to David are all the outworkings of this covenant with Abraham. And of course, reaching their climax in the promises of Jesus in the New Testament. And by the way, by the way, for those who are interested, the word testament is an old English word for covenant. So when we say Old Testament, New Testament, you can in fact say Old Covenant, to new covenant that's free but the promises <laughs> the promise to abraham involved more than the renewal just of spiritual relationship spiritual restoration it was also about the restoration of humanity with each other which, which brings us to the next point and that is this that it's social restoration this is what god is storing because he, it, god isn't just interested in connecting us with him because true faith in God connects us with our world, with each other. And so these promises to Abraham, God re is revealing his intention to gather together a nation. What does it say in his promise? It says, I will make you into a great nation. Not to be cut off, by the way, not to be cut off from or dominant over these other nations at all but rather a restored community, this vehicle of blessing to others. What does it say? That all peoples on earth, this is God's promise, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abram. And so Israel is chosen in order to be a blessing to every other nation. This is God being radically, radically inclusive. Genesis 11, what did we discover? This is the story of Babel. Read it for yourselves in, in your own time. This is where the nations are scattered. Genesis chapter 12, this is where God makes plans to bring about uh, all people back together. And this theme weaves its way through the Old Testament. But it comes to fulfillment in the New Testament where Jesus lives, where he teaches and he dies and he rises. Not just for his fellow Israelites, for God so loved the world. And Paul, in fact, he puts it perfectly in Galatians chapter 3 where he says this, understand then, understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. There was a bit of an issue, I won't go into the whole detail, some of you know about this more than me, but there was an issue of works. That's why the word faith 
comes about in Abraham's journey and story and every time he's mentioned in the New Testament, he was by faith, where was I? Gentiles, by faith, and announced the gospel in advance. Announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Once again, this idea reaches its climax in the book of Revelation, where a vision of people from all the earth together, together, because of Jesus. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, check this out, says, After this I looked, and there before me was what? A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. God's desire is for both spiritual and social, social restoration to gather all the people into a family. That's his perfect plan. And that's what he is doing. Of course, today, Christianity is an international, multicultural faith, not bound in its Middle Eastern origins at all. And by the way, by the way, for those who are interested on current trends, China is destined to become the largest Christian country in the world. This atheistic country destined for hope. And of course, what we're witnessing here is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham, the fulfillment of what? That I will make you into a what? A great nation. And so there's, there's a third dimension to this all-important promise, not just a spiritual dimension or element or a social element, but a physical aspect um, to God's plans through Abraham. And that is the physical restoration. What do I mean by this? Well, let's have a look. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Go from your country, your people... And your father's household to the land I will show you. Single command. And a little bit vague, let's be honest. <laughs> um, what do I tell Sarah? <laughs> of course, wives, we need to know the details, right? We need those details. It's very important. But what do I tell Sarah? Where, where are we going? I don't know exactly. Do we have a map? <laughs> well, God will show me. Sarah speaks up. God who, by the way? Uh, he didn't actually catch the last surname. But uh, God will show me. God will show me. So God shows Abraham a land. What's the land? The land of Canaan. Canaan. <laughs> and pledges that it would belong to his descendants. And of course, today, there are physical descendants of Abraham living there to this day, almost 4,000 years later. And of course, that's the land of Israel. And so this promised land, yes, it's central to the Old Testament. John Dixon, I'm going to quote him, and he says this in his book. In the view of the vast majority of Christians throughout history, the promised land is no longer theologically significant at all. It stands only as a marvelous historical symbol of God's desire to restore the whole earth to fulfill his physical purposes for humankind. I absolutely believe that God is concerned with physical, earthly things. Why? Because he created it. He created the world. It was by him and declared what? It was declared good. 
It was declared good. And part of his promise to Abraham, time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, is the return of his people to the promised land. In the New Testament, this promise of Eden recaptured with the promises that all creation will be redeemed. Let me support that by scripture in the first of three. Let scripture teach us and speak to us just for a moment. It says this, Romans 8, 19 to 21. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 2 Peter, 2 Peter, 3. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And the final book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, love this, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now. Did you get that? Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Guess what? They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And guess what? He will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the world we're currently inhabiting. He's describing right now. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. No more mourning. No more crying. And no more pain. Keep that up just for a moment. We're in two gardens. We're in between the two gardens. Something's happening on earth while we're between the two gardens, the Garden of Eden, to the restored Garden of Eden. Wait for it. Wait for it. This is the world we currently inhabit. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new from this garden to this garden with your disappointments with your frustrations with your discouragements with your separations you can't rely on your feelings yes express them but we've got to do what Abraham does and has shown us an example what's that? we've got to live by faith between the two gardens Because the hope for future presented in the Bible is the restoration and the recreation of this physical world. Not spirits floating around in white robes, playing harps, sitting on clouds, eating cream cheese. Hmm. Come on. 
In fact, this resembles probably a little bit more Eastern religions. That it all begins with Abraham by faith. I'd like to continue this story just in a couple of weeks if I could, because there's still so much more to get into. But God's promise to him assures him that the Creator intends to restore not only the spiritual, not only the social dimensions of life, but also the physical creation itself. You see, between the two gardens, the Bible begins with the book of Genesis set in the first garden of Eden. But let's never forget, in between the two gardens, it ends with being restored in the book of Revelation. But this is what we have to learn to do. We have to learn to wrestle. We have to learn to wrestle. And we have to do it well between the two gardens. Which means, yes, we acknowledge our feelings and we have to get that out. But let faith rise. Let faith lead the way. Because God knows before we dwell eternally, we all have to learn wrestle well. Because He is making all things new. Here's what I want to do. couple of minutes before Tommy comes and closes our service. We're not going to sing. I like this music to play. We're going to dim the lights a little bit. I've got three questions for us to consider. I can ask you these questions. But I'd like for us to create a holy moment and allow you and the spirit of the living God to dwell and to consider maybe the application of what we've learned this morning. He's making all things new.